If you've been to an allergist, then you know sometimes we ask kind of weird questions. That's because we are trying to classify the type of adverse reaction to food that you or your kiddo is having because we can't treat you until we have the correct diagnosis. On today's episode, I go through the different types of adverse reactions to foods. So get ready because you're about to go inside the mind of a food allergist. Welcome to Food Allergy and Your Kiddo with Dr. Alice Hoyt, the podcast about demystifying food allergies, diminishing allergy anxiety, and taking back control. Let's navigate this challenge together with evidence-based information, scientific research, and tried and proven practices. And now, here's your host, board-certified allergist and immunologist specializing in food allergy, Dr. Alice Hoyt. Hello and welcome to the Food Allergy and Your Kiddo podcast. I am your host, Dr. Alice Hoyt, and I am super excited to be here talking to you today on an episode that I really should have recorded a long time ago. The reason is on this episode, I am going to very clearly and very succinctly define the different types of adverse reactions to foods. If you're not already subscribed to our email list, go to foodallergyandyourkiddo.com and subscribe because I'm going to be emailing out a really great algorithm on how we really classify different types of adverse reactions to foods. And by the end of this episode, I think you're going to be like, oh, wow, it, it really is more than I have a, a food allergy. You might have a food intolerance. You might have not a food allergy or intolerance at all, but something completely different. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And ultimately why this is so important is because a physician cannot treat you or your kiddo until they have a very good idea as to what the diagnosis is. So let's get started. Like I was saying, though, go ahead and subscribe to the email list because I'm going to send out a super cool algorithm so that you can actually visualize what it is that I'm saying. So when you come to see an allergist, um, you're probably wondering like, wow, they're, they're asking a lot of weird questions. Allergists ask a lot of very specific questions. One of the things I was struck by when I was a resident, meaning I had graduated college and medical school and I was doing training in internal medicine and in pediatrics, and I was doing some, some subspecialty experience to see what I, what I wanted to do. And I was super interested in allergy. And one of the things that really struck me about the allergy trainees and really the attending physicians, the, the head physicians, the head allergists was how detailed they are in their history. And that is because you have to be detailed to really try to understand what is going on in someone's body when they're having an adverse reaction, whether it's to pollens or to a medication or in what I deal with now is with foods. And so Today, we're going to go through my algorithm that I am thinking in my brain. <laughs> I know lots of my colleagues are thinking in their brains too when a patient comes to us and is having an adverse reaction to a food. So the first sort of a step in the algorithm 
is to first identify that, okay, the patient is presenting saying they're having this reaction to a food. So there we are, we have an adverse reaction to a food. And you're probably noticing that I'm saying adverse reaction to a food instead of a food allergy, because before you can say something's a food allergy, you really have to go through a few different steps to make sure it really is a food allergy and not a food intolerance, not a toxicity, not something else. So let's talk about those other things first. And how do we really get there? Once somebody presents and is describing an adverse reaction to a food, like they eat a food and their heart starts to flutter, they eat a food and they have hives, they eat a food and six hours later, they're having a severe allergic reaction. We're already thinking, we as a food allergist in particular, are already thinking this is an adverse reaction to a food. Our next question to ourselves, is this an immune-mediated reaction or is this a non-immune-mediated reaction? What do I mean by that? I mean that when a patient comes to me and says that every time they drink milk, they get a really bloated, bad, upset stomach, but when they drink lactate milk or when they take lactate with, with their first bite of dairy, they're really fine. What that's telling me is that they have a food intolerance, specifically lactose intolerance. And lactose intolerance is not an immune-mediated reaction. So when we're thinking about immune-mediated or non-immune-mediated, we're thinking, is the immune system actively involved in the reaction that is happening upon ingestion of this food? So in the example I just described, lactose intolerance, What's really causing those symptoms is not at all an immune response. What it is, is an enzyme deficiency, specifically the deficiency of the enzyme called lactase. Lactase is an enzyme in our gut that breaks down the milk sugar called lactose. If we don't have that enzyme, then that milk sugar continues on its merry way in your GI tract to places that it should not go. And when milk sugars go places in your GI tract that it shouldn't go, then it causes water to flood into the GI tract, which then causes diarrhea, upset stomach, bloating, nausea, all those very, very, very uncomfortable symptoms. But nothing I just described really had anything to do with the immune system. It has to do with a deficiency of an enzyme. So that is not an immune-mediated condition. So that is a non-immune-mediated adverse reaction to a food. Another example of a non-immune-mediated adverse reaction to a food would be caffeine, right? So that's really just a physiologic, your body's having a physiologic response to caffeine, Caffeine causes an increased heart rate. Caffeine can cause people to feel jittery. It's not that you're allergic to it. It's not that the immune system is attacking it or is being um, inflamed by caffeine. It's that caffeine is a chemical that causes an increased heart rate, causes us to be jittery. So that, again, is not an immune-mediated adverse reaction to a food, but I would say if I'm on my fifth cup of coffee and I'm feeling kind of jittery, I'm having a bit of an adverse reaction there. But again, it's not an anaphylactic reaction. It's not an immune-mediated reaction at all. The other type of non-immune-mediated reaction would be a toxicity from a food or really like food poisoning, Um, fish poisoning, or if food has gone 
bad or turned, right? Like you can have a reaction to that and it's not, it's not the immune system attacking it. It's really kind of the food or the food poisoning attacking you. So those are non-immune mediated reactions. Um, and you see, it's really, really important for us as allergists to sort out what is an immune mediated reaction and what is a non-immune mediated reaction. Because again, a non-immune mediated reaction, while it can be very, very troubling and upsetting and cause a lot of discomfort, if I don't first get the right diagnosis, I'm not going to be able to give you the right treatment. And so it's so important that we correctly classify and diagnose. Before I go into immune-mediated reactions, I do want to go into sort of our unknowns, and I'm just going to mention those because they're unknown, so we don't have a whole lot of good information on them. But those are really adverse reactions to dyes and additives, and this can definitely and most commonly be seen um, in kiddos who have ADHD or are on the spectrum, autism spectrum disorder. And we do find that sometimes these food dyes, additives, high fructose corn syrup, some of these things, they can cause our kiddos to, or, or trigger poor behavior. I don't want to say they, they cause it causality there. You, you really have to study something really hard and have clean data to actually say causality. But I will say that there does seem to be something there where some kiddos in particular have this type of adverse reaction to some of these food additives, food dyes. And even though we as allergists can't necessarily explain it, that doesn't mean that we should dismiss it, right? The other thing is sometimes these dyes can, some dyes, some people do have some sort of skin reactions to them that really does not seem immune mediated. And it is pretty rare, but again, an informed allergist is going to talk you through all of this, but I just wanted to put those out there and say that there are definitely things that we don't know y'all. And so that's why I always say too, like, make sure you're, you're seeing a doctor and allergist that, that you trust that you can really talk to. Um, because there's so much that we don't know yet. And so I, I just, I totally believe, and as I hope my patients know that I totally believe it's just so important to listen to the family. So now let's talk about immune mediated reactions. When we're talking about immune mediated reactions, um, we're thinking is the reaction, does it involve IgE, immunoglobulin E? Does it not involve IgE or is it kind of a mixed picture? So IgE is kind of involved, but we're not really sure how exactly it's involved. So what is IgE? IgE or immunoglobulin E is what we commonly call the allergic antibody. So in a classic example, if a little kiddo has a peanut allergy, meaning they eat peanut and they develop hives, swelling, trouble breathing, vomiting within 30, 60 minutes, maybe a couple hours, then they have a classic peanut allergy. You might also hear this called an anaphylactic peanut allergy. And that is mediated by IgE, meaning that kiddo has IgE to peanut and that IgE to peanut is hanging out on top of that little kiddo's allergy cells. And when that IgE to peanut sees IgE, it binds, meaning the kiddo eats, eats peanut and that peanut protein makes its way onto his little 
IgE that's hanging out on his allergy cells, it's like a lock and key mechanism that as soon as it is that peanut binds to peanut IgE, then it causes those allergy cells to become activated, send out chemicals that cause the allergic reaction. I've talked about this a lot in prior episodes and definitely check out foodallergyinyourkiddo.com where I have a specific uh, blog post about IgE mediated food allergies. So IgE is sort of the diva of food allergy and of really of immune mediated adverse reactions to foods. When we're thinking of IgE mediated food allergies, we can further divide this into immediate onset reactions and delayed reactions. In most cases of food allergy, let me let me back up. In most cases of IgE-mediated food allergy, because there are food allergies that do not involve IgE, we'll get to those. In most cases of IgE-mediated food allergy, at, within 30, 60, maybe 90, 90 minutes, two hours, some papers go out to three hours, but for the most part, if you have an IgE-mediated food allergy, when you eat that food, you're starting to have symptoms typically within a few minutes, definitely within a couple hours. Those symptoms can be hives, swelling, trouble breathing, vomiting. Again, all of those symptoms are caused by those allergy cells being activated and spewing out those chemicals that are, that are found otherwise hanging out within the allergy cell. That is called anaphylaxis. Anaphylaxis is when you have these symptoms, hive swelling, trouble breathing, vomiting that are caused by those allergy cells releasing their contents. That anaphylaxis happens pretty darn quickly within, like I said, within an hour or two hours. That is your classic anaphylactic food allergy. You can also have pollen food allergy syndrome. We used to just sort of call this oral allergy syndrome, and that's when you bite in, you, you say you're allergic to birch pollen, like itchy, drippy, sneezy, seasonal allergies to birch pollen. Well, birch pollen protein, one particular protein in birch pollen looks a whole lot like a protein found in apples and in other produce. So in some people who have birch pollen allergy, when they bite into a fresh apple, that protein looks a lot like that birch pollen. And so their mouth thinks and their immune system thinks they're biting into birch pollen. But after your, your saliva or that patient's saliva starts breaking it down, chewing starts breaking it down. And then once that protein is in the gut, it is further broken down and your immune system realizes, oh, wait, I'm not, I'm not eating birch pollen, I'm eating an apple. And and it's actually really fine anyway, because this, this, this protein isn't really bothering me anyway. But do people who, who get that itchy feeling in their mouth, are they definitely having some sort of IgE mediated response to that food? Why, yes, they are. But if those apples are cooked in a delicious apple pie, then those proteins are already broken down enough to where there is no itchy mouth. So basically the, the lesson here is it's not an apple a day keeps the allergist away. It's an apple pie a day. No, bad joke. Okay. But you see my point that as I've talked about before, allergy really is all about protein structure. And, but I would be remiss if I didn't also bring up that not all 
cross reactivity between pollens and produce or veggies and fruits and some peanuts and tree nuts, not all of it is limited to oral allergy syndrome. And that's why now there's definitely a push in the allergy community to stop calling all, all pollen cross reactivity reactions, oral allergy, um, especially when they cause systemic reactions or system-wide reactions or anaphylaxis. And while it's very rare, there are cases where certain fruits or certain um, certain produce, is, it's just a good term to call because y'all get what I'm saying. They, those proteins, they're not necessarily broken down very well and they can cause anaphylaxis. And one common way of this is peach. In one of my very, very early episodes, I talked about the different ways you can be allergic to a peach. So definitely check out that very, very early episode and um, and check out the blog post on that too. And so what we've talked about so far is we've talked about immune-mediated, specifically IgE-mediated, immediate onset reactions. But there are also delayed reactions, and those are still mediated by Ig that are still mediated by IgE, and that specifically is the mammalian meat allergy or alpha-gal. Where I trained in allergy at the University of Virginia, that is basically where alpha-gal was discovered. It had been previously reported in Georgia, or something about being bitten, um, or, or having this delayed anaphylaxis to mammalian meat products. But basically what alpha-gal is, is you're bitten by a lone star tick, and within a couple months, you develop an allergy to mammal meat products like steak, bacon. But that allergy is is not just like, okay, you eat a hamburger, and then you're having high swelling trouble breathing within 30 minutes, 60 minutes, two hours, like I just talked about with the immediate onset IgE-mediated food allergy. With alpha-gal allergy, you have delayed reactions to a point where this is commonly referred to as midnight anaphylaxis because patients will have a nice steak dinner, go home, go to bed, and then they'll wake up in the middle of the night with raging hives, sometimes trouble breathing. I've seen, I've seen alpha-gal reactions mistaken as heart attacks because the patient is having just so much discomfort. And remember, not all allergic reactions necessarily involve cutaneous symptoms, meaning not everybody who has an allergic reaction is going to have hives. So that is an example of a delayed anaphylactic reaction. And really, alpha-gal allergy is the only delayed anaphylaxis that we really know about to date. The other really unique thing about alpha-gal, well, first of all, it's delayed anaphylaxis. That's interesting. Second, and we don't know why, right? We, because when, what, what science tells us is that when the allergen binds to the IgE on the allergy cell, it's an immediate reaction. So we don't know why in this particular allergy there is that delay. So that's interesting. The second interesting thing is that this is associated with a tick bite, which is just weird, right? Typically, anytime you hear something associated with tick bite, you're like, uh, what, what in the world? What kind of hocus pocus voodoo is this, right? But no, so it's associated with a tick bite. The third really interesting thing about alpha-gal is that the allergen is not a protein. So in every other IgE-mediated food allergy, 
it's the food protein that is that is causing the reaction. Well, in alpha-gal, it's actually a carbohydrate, a sugar, specifically galactose alpha-1,3-galactose, and that's a, a sugar found in non-primate mammals. So why being bitten by this tick triggers this delayed onset of a delayed anaphylaxis food allergy? We do not know, but there are lots of very, very smart people studying it. So we just talked about IgE-mediated immune adverse reactions to foods. So what are the non-IgE-mediated adverse reactions to foods? And let me again refer you to foodallergyandyourkiddo.com because during Food Allergy Awareness Week, I went day by day and posted on the blog every day about a different type of food allergy. So I did IgE-mediated, non-IgE-mediated, like some of the ones I'm about to talk about, and then the mixed IgE mediated. So definitely look look at look at that. And then also let me take a minute to point out my ebook, The Food Allergy Mama's Guide to Food Allergy Skin and Blood Testing. It's available now on foodallergyandyourkiddo.com and it's only $9. I really wanted to keep it a really good price so that everybody could really access it. And I I really went into nice detail with really really awesome pictures explaining what skin prick testing is, what blood testing is. When you're doing what blood testing, what to, or what, what skin or blood testing, what to expect and how the tests really work and what it doesn't test for. Cause that is so important and what a positive test means and what it doesn't mean. So check that out at foodallergyandyourkiddo.com. So now back to immune mediated allergic reactions or immune mediated adverse reactions to foods. Let's talk about non IgE mediated, non IgE mediated adverse reactions to foods can be any food allergy or an adverse reaction to a food that involves the immune system where it's IG is just not, not there at all. And so if IG is not there at all, then are we going to do skin testing? Are we going to do blood IgE testing? Very rarely is that indicated because if IG is not playing a role in the food allergy, why would we be testing for it? And I do go, I do, I do talk about that in the ebook. So let me list out some of these different non IgE mediated food allergies. F pies, food protein induced enterocolitis syndrome. I'm not going to go into this one in detail because I had an amazing interview with the world-renowned FPI expert, Dr. Anna Novak-Wegren. Y'all, if y'all haven't listened to that one, go back and listen to that one. I mean, she that woman is amazing. So smart, so smart. And really explains this, this FPIs very, very well. And she talks about what FPIs really is, is, is an immune response. It doesn't have to do with IgE. But uh, the way a lot of babies present is that they might have the food, like for example, rice. They might have rice for the first time when they're maybe six months old, depending on the kiddo, right? And they do fine with it. They like it. And then they have it again a week later. Um, and they're, they're fine. And then, if, but a few hours later, they start vomiting, like profuse, scary vomiting. Um, they can also have diarrhea and get very dehydrated and look very, very, very sick. And this isn't a previously like very healthy kiddo. And suddenly they're having this, this horrible vomiting and they can look very, very, very sick. In fact, they look so sick that 
when mamas and dads bring their kiddos into the ER because they look so bad, they're often evaluated for severe infections because they look so bad. But with a keen history, that again, asking, asking some weird questions. What did you eat? When did you eat it? How many times has it been eaten? All of those questions are, you know, posing it to the parent, of course. That's when, when the, the keen physician is starting to cue in on what could really be going on with this kiddo. So definitely go back and listen to that, to that episode. Another non-IgE mediated food allergy are the eosinophilic gastrointestinal disorders or EGIDs. And eosinophils are a type of allergy cell. They're not mast cells. Mast cells are the allergy cells that have IgE on them, that get activated, that cause anaphylaxis. Eosinophils are a different type of allergy cell, and they can really wreak havoc really anywhere. A lot of asthma is actually eosinophilic asthma. That's how allergists refer to some forms of asthma. And they can really just cause cause a lot of problems. Hi there, this is Alexis from the Hoyt Institute of Food Allergy. Did you know that the Institute is the official sponsor of the Food Allergy and Your Kiddo podcast? And did you also know that you are now able to connect with Dr. Hoyt directly? That's right. We are now offering food allergy office hours for parents. These one-on-one virtual sessions are available for parents all across the country. It's an educational session, not an office visit, where you can ask all of your food allergy questions and finally get answers. It's as comfortable as having a cup of coffee with your bestie. Simply click the link in the show notes to schedule and mention this ad. We are so, so excited to connect with parents across the globe with this new service. Okay, now back to Pam and Dr. Hoyt. And so what EGIDs are is when eosinophils are in the or somewhere in the intestine that they really should not be, whether that's in the stomach or the large intestine or the small intestine, wherever they are, where they're what they should not be there and they're causing a problem. I am gonna talk about EOE or eosinophilic esophagitis, but I'm saving that for our mixed IG disorders. So I'll get to those in a minute, to that in a minute. The other two non-IgE mediated food allergies. I want to talk about our celiac disease and allergic contact dermatitis. Celiac disease, you've probably heard of. Celiac disease is when somebody's immune system does not like gluten for whatever reason. It sees gluten as a bad guy. And in the process of attacking that gluten, thinking it's a bad guy, a bad guy, it actually ends up hurting itself. It hurts the gut. It causes gut inflammation. And by the way, y'all, inflammation is such like a wastebasket term, like anything can be inflammation. But what I'm specifically talking about is basically the immune system is trying to attack the gluten, but it ends up damaging the the intestinal lining. And when you damage the intestinal lining, then you can have really upset stomach, bloating, diarrhea, malnutrition, because the the, the, the GI tract lining is being damaged. And again, look at foodallergyinyourkiddo.com because I have a really nice article on celiac disease. And I will take a moment to point out that celiac disease, which is when the, the immune system is attacking gluten, that is different than a wheat allergy, which is when the body has IgE specifically to wheat, not to gluten, but to wheat. 
and the wheat allergy and celiac disease, those are both different from non-celiac gluten sensitivity. Non-celiac gluten sensitivity is when someone says, I'm, I'm sensitive to gluten. I'm, I, you know, I try to be gluten free because I get these really bad stomach aches. I get brain fog. I just don't feel well. I get bloating. It's really important that those patients be evaluated for celiac disease to make sure they don't have celiac disease. But then really the treatment for non-celiac gluten sensitivity is the same as that as of celiac disease, which is very, very strict gluten avoidance. So the other non-IgE mediated adverse reaction to a food is allergic contact dermatitis. And that is when you ingest a food, but you develop this, it's not hives, it's not necessarily immediate onset, but you do develop a very itchy and uncomfortable rash and it can last, it can last for a while and it can happen in different places. Um, it can also sometimes happen when food touches the skin. So those are the non-IgE mediated immune responses to foods. I know you got, you guys are champions for, for listening through all this, but I really felt like this was an important, important podcast to do. The last, the last immune mediated food allergies I'm going to talk about are mixed IgE mediated food allergies. So the first one I want to talk about is eosinophilic esophagitis. And I mentioned earlier a little bit about the EGIDs, the eosinophilic gastrointestinal diseases or disorders. And you can put EOE in there, but the reason I don't put EOE just totally in there is because the EGIDs, they often don't have a lot to do with, with IgE. In EOE, the jury is still sort of out on what 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 is IgE doing when it comes to EOE. EOE is when you have eosinophils, again, that type of allergy cell, in your esophagus, so in your swallowing tube. So I describe it as a food allergy of the esophagus. But this can really cause a lot, this can cause a lot of, a lot of um, not good things, both physiologically, but also emotionally. So what can happen when you have that type of inflammation in your swallowing tube, in your esophagus, is that you can have symptoms of, of reflux. You can have trouble swallowing because your swallowing tube can actually get narrow. You can have food impactions. A lot of times adults actually present to the emergency room with, they were eating a hamburger and they're trying to swallow it down and it's literally stuck. And that's because of this, this inflammation, this allergic inflammation from eosinophils. But also, when people have EOE or eosinophilic esophagitis, especially our, our younger kiddos who have it, you know, they're they might be be deemed as picky eaters when really they're just they're being particular about what they're eating because it doesn't feel good when they're trying to swallow. They can be skinny. They can not be where they need to be on their growth chart. Um, they can avoid some social settings because so many of our social settings revolve around food, right? So EOE can really be, um, it can be difficult to diagnose because again, you have to be keenly aware of, of what symptoms are going on. And then there are different ways to treat EOE. So that is one of the mixed IgE, non-IgE mediated food allergies. The other one I want to talk about is called food-induced flaring of atopic dermatitis. Now, a lot of people are concerned that foods cause eczema. That is not the case. Foods do not cause eczema. Food allergies do not 
cause eczema. Foods do not cause atopic dermatitis. It's actually eczema, or also called atopic dermatitis, that predisposes kiddos to developing the food allergies. So again, it's not foods that cause the skin problems. It's the skin problems that predispose to the food problems. And when a kiddo has eczema, there are absolutely cases where mom moms come in and they say, you know, little Susie's eczema is usually really well controlled, but whenever I give her fill in the blank food, usually it's either eggs or milk, milk. Oh my gosh. So often it's milk. Whenever I give her milk, it's just the eczema really, really, really flares. So is that a real thing? Yes, that's absolutely a real thing. That's called food-induced flaring of atopic dermatitis. It's absolutely a real thing. And, you know, it's it's um, tempting <laughs> to say, okay, well, let's just totally avoid milk for a long time. But really what we need to do in those kids is try to get their skin under really great control. So provide families with a really, really great skincare regimen and one that they can do so many times when families come in and they have this cream to put on this time sometimes, and then maybe this cream or this steroid ointment, but maybe they use this one and it's really kind of like all over the place. And they're not even really sure when they use which one or when they're supposed to use which one. So really just cleaning up that regimen, giving them a regimen that they can do, including a good bathing regimen that limits soaps that, that can really irritate the skin and really a regimen that focuses on keeping the skin moisturized because we don't want to just have the kiddo avoid the food forever. Cause it's actually those kids that we really worry about converting into IgE mediated anaphylactic food allergy. Because what we know is that when we avoid foods, we, especially in young kiddos and especially in young kiddos with eczema, it really does set up for the development of allergy, or as I prefer to, to describe this, the non-development or the loss of tolerance to a food, meaning they no longer tolerate it they, they have these allergic antibodies, they have food-induced flaring of atopic dermatitis, and because they've been avoiding the food, any tolerance they did have, they've lost, and now they have an anaphylactic food allergy. So that is a real thing. You would, if, if any of these are sounding like something you or your kiddo is going through, then you definitely want to talk to an allergist about, about how to best manage these things. Um, so I know y'all that this has been quite a long episode and one that is very, very, very loaded with, with very, um, maybe dry content. It is kind of dry, but I really felt like I needed to provide everybody a, a nice algorithmic way to understand what it is your allergist is thinking when they're asking these kind of off the wall seeming questions and why not everything, not every adverse reaction to a food is technically a food allergy and that it's really important to differentiate what's an immune response compared to a non-immune mediated adverse reaction to a food. Because as I've just laid out, there are multiple ways that you can react or respond to a food and there are different treatments for all of these types of reactions. Meaning if you have 
eosinophilic esophagitis, or if you have food protein-induced enterocolitis syndrome, well, an epinephrine auto-injector, epi, epinephrine, does not does not help when you have an accidental ingestion because you're not having anaphylaxis. Likewise, if you have an IgE-mediated anaphylactic food allergy, a classic peanut allergy, then you need epi and say, you know, our treatment for lactose intolerance, which is take lactase replacement, which is like lactate, well, well that's not going to help for, for if you have an actual milk allergy, an IgE-mediated milk allergy. So it's just really important to first be able to define what the adverse reaction to the food is. Is it immune-mediated? Is it not immune mediated Is it an intolerance? Is it an IgE-mediated reaction? What is going on so that a good plan can be put in place, not just to treat reactions, but to prevent reactions and to not avoid foods you don't necessarily have to avoid, but to also very specifically avoid foods that are not safe or not healthy for you or for your kiddo. That's the episode. Thanks so much for tuning in. Of course, I'm an allergist, but I'm not your allergist. So talk with your allergist about what you learned on this episode and visit us at foodallergyandyourkiddo.com where you can submit your family's questions. God bless you and God bless your family.